Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on. We talk about basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happens. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, what's up? I'm not going to say happy Monday. It's the beginning of the week, though. Hope it's you had a Tuesday. Beautiful, no. long is it? weekend. Is it, it is. I would have thought we it was a Wednesday, if I'm being quite honest. If you would have told me it was it was a Wednesday, I would have believed you. You know. I really would have. Did you have a good long weekend? Hell yes, I did. Labor Day weekend in Palm Springs, hot ass Ooh. area. Wow, Palm Springs. We got to do something about that sun because she really beat our ass this weekend. And it's going to be getting All worse. All across yeah. California, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I almost got heat exhaustion. I was in the desert <laughs> one day and literally I was bicycling and I had to stop every 10 minutes to drink water and be in a shade. Yeah, because you went to Burning Man. I went to Burning Man. During a heat the, surge? In the desert in Nevada. Yeah, it was Was intense. it fun, though? It was. It was too a bit too quick. Was it smelly? It was I always think it's smelly. It's, it's not more like just very baths. dusty and dirty. It's not as much so, smelly. So, yes, of it's the smell. Like, it's more like you just feel, yeah, it's hot, sweaty, dusty, and dirty. <laughs> and then they have porta potties. So, whenever you pass by those, you're like, oh, what's that smell? And then you're like, oh, yeah, I'm passing a whole strip of porta potties. Where the things are, it's not like there's a flushing quality to it. No, but they do have, um, they do have um, trucks that come. Oh, to, beautiful. Yeah. You know, there's some sort of normalcy there, somewhat. No, I'm happy Burning Man was lovely for you. Palm Springs was always so great. I didn't go out. I just had a few friends with me. Good. We stayed in the house, yes. played games. Oh. Uh, there's a drinking game called Do or Drink. That is a card game. Okay. I would recommend it. It's a wild. Do you create it or do you have to buy the No, card it's game? a card game, yeah. And uh, we did that and we just hung out in the pool and had just... I don't know, just a beautiful family moments, and I and I really appreciate. It. I felt I feel very refreshed and ready to go. That's awesome. Well, speaking of refreshed and ready to go, we're ready to go to a possible uh, concert with Diana Ross. Not even a possible concert. It is well, happening. We're not going, and but we, you could go. I'm going. Are you going officially? Yeah. Oh, all right. Sorry, breaking oh. news. Channel Q wants to send you and a guest of Vegas to see the Supreme Diva Diana Ross. The iconic Miss Ross, the boss, returns for a limited engagement at Win Las. Vegas, September 21st to October 1st. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and enter for your chance to win an airfare for two, two-night hotel stay at Wynn Las Vegas, plus upfront seats at the Encore Theater within the first 10 rows, so you know the seats are going to be good. Just head over to WeAreChannelQ.com for your chance to win, or if you don't win, you can do what everyone else is doing and getting your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. Okay, well, let's get into some what's turning this hour headlines. A new political action committee dedicated to beating anti-LGBTQ plus and anti-abortion candidates has been formed. The new Agenda Pack aims to aggressively advertise against anti-LGBTQ plus candidates. And they will utilize a variety of paid communication tactics to contact voters, including direct mail, TV, and digital ads, with a long-term goal of acting as a deterrent for anti-LGBT plus candidates. Okay, hopefully we're going to talk to someone from there uh, this week as well. 
Now, President Biden on Labor Day kicked off the unofficial start of the fall campaign season ahead of the midterm elections with two stops in battleground states, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And heading to those states, Biden mirrored the strategy of his Democratic predecessors, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. He spent most of his nearly half hour speech focused on worker contributions, uh, talking about his legislative achievements and repeating his recent criticism of mega Republicans and Donald Trump. Here's a moment from that speech. You can't be pro-insurrectionist. I'm being deadly earnest now. There's no democracy where you can be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. I know that's So when I say the democracy is at stake, I mean what I'm saying, literally. You can't say you support law enforcement and call the people who attacked the police on January 6th patriots. You said it. Okay, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Yeah, one question. Did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pines? I saw that During the Venice (laughs) Film Festival, well... We are clearing up this sticky situation. No. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. I hate myself, too. I can't believe (laughs) I just said that. Okay, so a rep for Chris Prine shot down the wild theory that Harry Styles spat on him as he made his way to his seat at the Don't Worry Darling premiere on Monday during the Venice Film Festival. Now, let me tell you. Don't worry, Mon- uh, don't worry, darling. Literally hasn't even come out yet. There's another two weeks for it to even come out mm-hmm. to the public, and the drama surrounding this film um, is absolutely wild. Olivia Wilde, because she is the director. Wow, I am really on the pun today. Like, it's happening. Um, So, uh, Chris uh, Chris Pine, who is a a star of the movie, along with Harry Styles, uh, Florence Pugh, uh, Nick Kroll, which was a shocker because we saw that he was there and Harry Styles kissed him. Anyway, there's a viral video of the duo seated next to each other, and Harry sits down, and he looks down, and it looks like there was, like, a loogie that was hacked, and Pine appears to freeze mid-clap and stares into his lap with a smile before, you know, stopping completely. Now, the footage sparked a fierce debate on Twitter. Everyone was like, oh, nah, Harry really just spit on this man. Like, what the hell? Well, Chris Pine's rep said this. This is a ridiculous story, a complete fabrication. A fabrication and the results of an odd online illusion that is clearly deceiving and allows for fullest speculation. Just to be clear, Harry Styles did not spit on Chris Pine. There is nothing but respect between these two and any suggestion otherwise is a blatant attempt to create drama that simply does not exist. It was a weird moment. So if you look at the video, Styles goes back to the seat and he does something. It looks like he's spitting or something. And then you could see Chris Pine looking like, like, what? Did he really do that? And kind of smiling and laughing it was to like, himself. It really felt like it was kind of like wrong time, wrong moment. I mean, I watched the video like 768 times. And... <laughs> I did not see anything leave Harry's mouth. Was it more like maybe he did some weird thing, like a noise, and then, know. you know, and then he was like, know. okay. Then. Either way, all I do know, whoever made the seating arrangement really knows probably how to uh, create wedding tables for divorced parents. <laughs> so that's your T report. We got more coming up next hour. Okay, well, after this, more women are registering to vote than men daily in key states following the fall of Roe. Uh, More with The Washington Post after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. According to this new new study in The Washington Post, more women are registering than men daily in key states leading up to the midterms. Joining us right now from The Washington Post is Hannah Knowles, campaign reporter. Thanks for being here. 
Thanks for having me. Uh, so this is interesting news. Is it all because of the fall of Roe? Did this spur this increase? Um, it seems pretty clear that um, the end of Roe uh, prompted a lot of women um, in states where abortion access was under threat um, to register to vote. You see a really clear spike in Kansas, um, where abortion access was directly on the ballot um, in a referendum this summer. You saw a really clear spike, too, in Pennsylvania, which, um, you know, the governor's race there um, will be pivotal for the future of abortion access. Um, you have really clear contrast between the candidates and you have a Republican controlled state house um, that has expressed interest for sure in restricting abortion um, if they get a GOP governor um, who would sign that legislation. Um, and so, you know, those were really um, the key states that um, stood out to us. Um, but the, the story of how abortion has reshaped the midterms is so much broader than that. Mm-hmm. And it's about, um, you know, women actually shifting away from the GOP, you know, People who were already voting who are now um, more leery of Republicans. Um, and it's also about these, um, you know, young voters, um, women voters, um, really voters across demographics who are more motivated now to turn out. Yeah, because that's always been the thing where we've seen when it comes to generations that older generations are obviously more willing to go out to the polls and, and, and make their vote count versus younger generations don't really uh, they're a part of the conversation, but they don't really, the data shows otherwise. And so I wonder, are we seeing that shift when we're thinking about kind of age ranges here? Yeah, you're absolutely seeing um, young people um, were more likely to be kind of galvanized by the end of row. Um, it's something they care a lot about. Um, and they're also the group where, um, you know, they often don't turn out, especially in a midterm year. And so um, to have them fired up about this is a really big boon to Democrats. Um, But I should emphasize, like, this is, you know, it's not just a young people issue. It's not just a women um, issue, right? And so you see actually uh, motivation to vote and interest in the election increasing, um, you know, for men, um, for um, all these different demographics within um, the Democratic Party. And so it's really just fired up their entire base. Yeah, I also think it's interesting because I think that whenever someone ends up uh, trying to run as an independent like Democrats are like, really? Okay, you're going to mess this up for all of us. But it seems like people are moving out of the independent space right now because it seems like everyone needs to rally around one thing. It's like kind of like what we, what a lot of people had hoped for, where if we, we want to win and we want the Republicans to lose, people need to rally for the Democrats. Um, you definitely see um, independent women in particular shifting toward um, Democrats recently. Um, the Wall Street Journal had this really striking poll the other week. Um, you know, suburban women, this key swing, swing group, um, they're shifting away as well. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Independents are part of the story, too. Yeah. So I guess as we wrap this conversation up, what should we be looking out for um, in this moment as it's I mean, uh, you know, the season for voting is midterm season is I say it's approaching, right? <laughs> yeah, I think the big question is, you know, what unknowns um, could factor in before Election Day that kind of shift the, you know, what issues are really top of mind for people? If inflation gets worse again, that could shift the landscape. If there's some other, um, you know, economic disruption um, that could tilt things back and, and shift the momentum to Republicans again. Um, so we really don't know. Two months is a long time. Um, there could be a lot that, that changes. And is it possible that uh, any of these seats could flip because of this? 
because of um, the end of Roe v. Wade. I mean, Democrats certainly hope so. Or no, um, or the shift they, in the voting. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Say that one more time. Could it flip the states, the shift in voting? Like, could we see uh, red states go blue or to more purple? You know, in terms of new voter registrations, um, in the big scheme of things, um, you know, it, it's not that many um, new voters, but it's an indicator um, that this matters, you know, so much to um, women that they are literally, you see the spike um, in them turning out um, to register. And so that's an indicator that, um, you know, this probably matters to a lot of existing voters as well. And Democrats are certainly hopeful that they will turn out and cast ballots for them, too. Definitely. Well, that was Hannah Knowles, campaign reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. Now, we know the Inflation Reduction Act was supposed to do a lot for the climate crisis, but is that the best Biden can do? That's up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, the Inflation Reduction Act is one of the many actions that the Biden administration has taken to combat climate. But a new report is revealing that there could be more done and what lies ahead. Joining us for this conversation is Maya Godin-Krasner, Deputy Director of the Climate Law Institute at the Center for Biological Diversity. Come on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, this uh, new 99-page report published by the Revolving Door Project um, basically um, lays out a potential executive branch policies uh, available under current law, even without the declaration of a climate emergency, which could open up some additional powers. And I wonder, when you hear about kind of a report like this that is detailing that more can be done, what does that really look like? Because it seems like this is historic, what Biden's already doing doing, what more do we need? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, So the Inflation Reduction Act only gets us uh, part of the way to where Biden pledged we need to reduce our emissions. So he said we need to reduce reduce our emissions um, by 50 percent below 1990 levels. Um, and uh, the Inflation Reduction Act plus sort of existing policies really only gets us 40%. And even Biden's pledge is not enough for us to, to meet our goals that we agreed to in the Paris Climate Agreement. So there's still a lot of work to do, and we need all hands on deck, federal, state, everybody working on this issue. I mean, we're seeing devastating floods and heat wave, you know, in Pakistan and heat waves in California. Um, so some of the things that he could do is um, he could really use the full power of the Clean Air Act. He could set a national climate cap on um, greenhouse gas emissions. He can push for really strong emissions reductions from transportation, like cars and SUVs. Um, he can phase down drilling on public lands. Um, and... And also, he could declare a climate emergency, which unlocks a few more key actions. So, for example, under that, he could reinstate the crude oil export ban, which we had in place for 40 years and was lifted in 2015. But even reinstating that would be the the equivalent of shutting down 42 coal plants. So there's so much more that he could be doing. It's so interesting. As you said that, I was like, isn't Biden doing those things? But then I, I did look and it says... Uh, as of July 20th, Biden announces plans to deal with the climate emergency. So it seems like there's an awareness about this, but what needs to happen for it to be, uh, for the next step to ha- to happen? Because 
as of even July 28th, NBR said that, um, you know, Manchin seemed to be the one that was also blocking possible, possibly these things from happening. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's a he's an interesting one. Um, But he doesn't Biden doesn't need Congress to do it. He can do it himself. Um, It takes, I think, people asking him and demanding that this happens. I mean, you know, what what more do we need to see going on around us? We're baking out here in L.A. It's one hundred and nine degrees today. I, you know, and so. One of the one of the things people can do is go to people versus fossil fuels. That's a, a website. So if you just Google people versus fossil fuels, and there's a huge groundswell of people who are pushing to call on Biden to declare a climate emergency. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. I I am a firm believer at recognizing the good work that the Biden administration is doing, but also making sure that that it just doesn't stop there. And we have Mm -hmm. to recognize that Republicans and conservative groups are obviously going to challenge all these new federal climate policies in court. And they make it very difficult in this process. So it's like, I wonder... Where's the balance of recognizing the work that Biden is doing, but also realizing just the realism of Republicans and conservative groups trying their hardest to stop everything in to, to actually happen? Yeah, my view is that they're going to try to stop everything that happens anyway, no matter how small of a step it is. It could be a tiny step and they're still going to sue and tie it up in court. Yeah. And. So, you know, might as well take a big, bold step, kind of keep get us rolling and really get us on the path towards where we need to be um, to to combat climate change. And then, you know, Republicans are going to they're going to sure they're going to sue on it, but hopefully it sort of gets us gets the ball rolling. Do you think that this report that the revolving door did, I mean, is the administration responding to it? Is this like a key part maybe in, in continuing to light um, put a fire under their behinds. <laughs> yeah, so we we put out some similar reports um, earlier on, climate president um, and the climate emergency president, and so and now the revolving door is putting out this report. So I think that it's re- I think it's really great. I think that sort of people are showing the Biden administration what really can be done. Um, I think. You know, I know people are asking them to do more um, so we can I, I hope I mean, I, yeah. I like you said before, I'm glad I actually I appreciate what he's done so far, but but we have so much more to go. We sure do. And honestly, thank you so much for the work that you all are doing. And we really appreciate you for uh, joining us to break this down in an accessible way. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, that was Maya Golden-Krasner, Deputy Director of the Climate Law Institute at the Center for Biological Diversity. All right, well, coming up next, why do we eat foods that we know we shouldn't? There's actually a reason behind this, so we'll get into that Mm -hmm. next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. So why do we eat foods that we know we shouldn't? Well, this question was asked as part of an article in Yahoo!, and some experts had some answers, but before we get into it, before are there any foods uh, that you eat that you know you shouldn't, and why? Probably do you think, why everything. does it happen? <laughs> Probably everything. Yeah. Well, I think if being a real honest answer, I think you know food has such a connection to emotions mm-hmm. and has such a connection to stress, and uh-huh. and also 
um, when you're probably a child growing up being forced to finish your plates, that can be an uh, issue that you start to connect to saying, oh, I need to finish my plate to realize I'm full, which creates an overeating habit. And then that creates an overeating like situation of like all bad type, you know, all quote unquote bad foods, you know, mm. chips, snacking, all that, you know, all these things, right? I think there's so many angles around diet culture yeah. that te teaches society and has taught us inherently that fat is wrong. You are, if you are fat, you're wrong. Body mass index, you're wrong. Like all of these things. And so I think that's really possibly, you know, a trigger into why someone would continue to eat the wrong yeah. things because they're still just trying to do what they already know while also navigating with the guilt that they're doing it. It's like, it's so layered and it's so nuanced, layered. you know? My favorite N word. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my god! So, um, is it your favorite N word, or do you know, have others? <laughs> nice, Aww, nice. Love that. <laughs> no, that is exactly. Her, Shira, what do you eat that you should take? <laughs> Thanks for getting that back on the rails. Um, I mean, the same thing. It's like I, but I think that it, 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 what you said. It's like there, there are moments. It's not about extremes, right? Like or cutting things out. Yeah. Like I love candy sometimes, right? As you, people have seen in the studio. I've had my moments. Mm -hmm. um, I love chips. I love crunchy things. <laughs> and so I, I think those... But they'd be like quinoa chips. No, no, no. Regular chips. I I've like never seen you eat a regular chip. I'm a fries chip. girl. You are a fries girl. I'm a fries girl. But I've never seen you and eat a regular also, chip. And then also I would say I'm definitely like... I don't, I don't crave just like bread, but like I do love, you know, some pizza or a good pasta. Yeah, who doesn't? If we go to a homemade pasta pizza place, I will do that. Yeah. So anyway, but it doesn't mean it's bad, but it hasn't necessarily been recently good for me on the scale. Which sounds like this is all t tied into like a habit of ours, like, right? This is our habit. This is what well, we're so doing, Well, so that's the right? thing. Is, so so uh, the experts, the doctors are saying, if you're wondering why you know something is bad, but you still do it, yes, it's habit, right? There's trauma around things, as we know. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. association. On a Friday night, you might order a pizza because you associate it with fun, Right. Right? Like, I might have candy because, yeah, I associate it uh, with that, too. <laughs> or, <laughs> I guess I get candy during um, when I'm working because, yeah, it makes me feel like maybe there's some levity it brings. Yeah. Right? It, like, reminds me of something. Like, I'm going to bring something playful into the My environment. My thing is, I want to take away all the judgment around something that is a that we were designed to do, which is eat. Our bodies were designed to eat. Our bodies were designed to replenish ourselves. And the fact that society has made us real, like, has made us look at what eating and fatness totally. can do. That's the reason why we have You're, so much judgment and have to have, you know, studies like this, which is stupid. Here's the thing, is you go anywhere else in the world and the, actually eating is really uh, a centerpiece oh, to their I know. lifestyle. And they look, they love they look the good. big boys. But then they also... I'm just saying they but do. But also, you could go anywhere else and eat a ton of stuff that you would consider here in America, quote unquote, bad, and not feel bad. Yeah. After eating that, one, because just like the way society is, but also because of the ingredients in the food. Except for when I was in Israel at the McDonald's there. They had <laughs> no, a they yeah. had a double not, Big Mac right, I'm chicken sandwich. I'm not talking sandwich, about fast and that was No, but I'm just saying that that was like, oh, that's you're making a wrong decision if you have that. No one should be eating that. Okay, well... Yes. Uh, so just something to think about. And also, when you go internationally, you're oh, it's more walking. 
A lot of other cities are built around walking than just being in our car or being sitting inside. They're more active communities. Yeah. So anyway, something to think about. It's not going to just go away. The things that you don't like to eat, you got to understand why you do it. Well, next up. First, it was a lesbian dance theory. Now it's queer pet literature. What Ted Cruz is saying about student loan cancellation. Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. I know. Yes, yes, we're back. We are, and we have your way to win some Diana Ross. Your fever is high, and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart cart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I talk honestly about the hard parts of life. Join us and guests like Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Brene Brown as we have refreshingly honest conversations. New episodes are out every Tuesday and Thursday. So listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Tickets in Vegas! Oh, don't we? Channel Q wants to send you and a guest to Vegas to see the supreme diva herself, Diana Ross. The iconic Miss Ross returns for a limited engagement at Win Las Vegas, September 21st to October 1st. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and enter for your chance to win airfare for two, two-night hotel stay at Win Las Vegas. Plus, guess what? Upfront seats at the Encore Theater within the first 10 rows, so you know it's going to be good. Just head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and enter for your chance to win or get tickets now at Ticketmaster.com. All right. And coming up on the show, Labor Day is done. Well, guess what? There's more holiday travel to plan. We've got you covered with ways to get the best deal in 30 minutes. Plus, Tiffany Haddish addresses molestation charges. That's in the T-Report in a moment. Yikes. Yeah. Let's get into some what's trending this hour. Headlines, though, right now. Texas Senator Ted Cruz has claimed President Biden's student loan debt relief plan would leave taxpayers funding degrees in... I can't even say it. Like, this is so ridiculous. Say it. Queer pet literature. (laughs) Is every barista slacker? Of course not. They're wonderful, great people who are are baristas who, by the way, many of whom don't have student loans and are getting screwed by the Democrats because they're saying the guy that studied queer pet literature and has $100,000 in debt because, oddly enough, uh, you know, to, to reference another podcast, you know, Mickey and Pluto going at it. Other than getting a job at Disney, there's not a lot of job market for queer pet literature. I just can't. So, it's like a, it's um, a well, who's the who's the queer pet? Am I the queer pet? <laughs> or is like Coco the queer pet? My I dog. Mean, I guess we will never know. I, you know, if she wants to be queer, I'm all down for queer pet literature. Right. Sure, there should be more about two, two same loving gendered pets falling in love. I think it's cute. Yeah, we actually did a whole segment on this once. Did we? Queer pets, queer animals. Oh yeah, that segment didn't go as well as we it probably could have. But so you maybe, le- you do something, you learn. You know, some. maybe Ted Cruz read that book 
about queer I heard our segment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we- <laughs> He's actually a huge fan of Let's Go There. All right, <laughs> moving on. The pace of new monkeypox cases reported in some major cities and in the U.S. overall has started to slow recently. But experts say it's too early to know if the trend will last. On Friday, the CDC said that they are cautiously optimistic about the downward trend, but warned that the overall case count is still growing. Last week, there were an average of 337 new cases of monkeypox reported each day in the U.S. That's a 24% drop from two weeks earlier, a difference of more than 100 cases a day. And finally, Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves announced yesterday that water pressure is solid and back to normal in Jackson. The city's public schools announced they would open for in-person learning uh, today after water pressure was deemed suitable for students to return. Residents are still advised to boil their drinking water, with officials saying the notice will be lifted once they get two rounds of clear samples. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Okay, get ready for this insane story. If you did not hear it, Tiffany Haddish is acknowledging um, and actually speaking out uh, about these molestation and grooming allegations that she and Aries Spears are now facing. Now, Aries Spears, I don't know if uh, Lizzo's one of the best witches in the world, but Aries Spears, he's the, the, the old raggedy comedian that basically talked a whole bunch of crap about Lizzo being her about her body and yeah. her weight gross we talked about it last week yeah, yeah and so um, now um, guess what Tiffany is uh, involved in some mess with him acknowledging and she's speaking out she's acknowledging that people have questions she says I know people have a bunch of questions I get it I'm right there with you Unfortunately, there is an ongoing legal case that's very that there's very, very little that I can say right now she did say that while the sketch was intended to be comedic, it wasn't funny at all. She says, I deeply regret having agreed to act in it. I really look forward to being able to share a lot more about the situation as soon as I can. And then she turned off the comments on the post. Um, now, if you're not familiar with this lawsuit, it was filed last week accusing Haddish and Spears of grooming a 14-year-old girl and her 7-year-old brother and coercing them to film explicit skits. And uh, the siblings were not named in the lawsuit. Um, But in the lawsuit, the sibling's mother alleges that she and Haddish met through comedy and developed a close relationship over their their respective divorces. Uh, The mother told Daily Beast, we were both going through a divorce. Um, And she said, messy, messy, messy divorces. We just got really, really super close. And I guess with that, that's how the kids got involved. And there was a summer camp and... It, See, it was like really, a sketch that they got kids involved with. And yeah, it was basically a sketch about um, you be careful who you leave your kids with. And Aerie Spears played this like weird pedophilic kind of guy, the next door neighbor. And so through that sketch um, that was published via Funny or Die and more online's platform titled, quote, through, the pet- through a pedophile's eyes, this, um, this, I guess the kids are saying that they were uh, forced to do this and also went through some other things. Yikes. If you want to know more, head over to WeirdChannelQ.com. It is a really interesting and sad story. And uh, girl, I don't know. Tiffany Haddish, she got a lot of explaining to do. Okay. So does Aerie Spears, but no one cares about that guy. Yeah, I mean. Just lock him up so we don't ever see his dark eyelashes again. Not his eyelashes, but his dark circles around his eyes. That's what I meant to say. I mean, it seems like he's just a D-bag. Yeah, he is. Well, next up, um, self-harm posts are surging on Twitter. 
But what is Twitter doing to stop it? More on that after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Self-harm related hashtags have increased roughly 500% since October. Trigger warning. Yes, uh, that's according to a new report from the Network Contagion Research Institute and Rutgers University. Definitely concerning. Uh, And joining us right now is Lars May, founder of Half the Story. Thanks for being here again. Thanks for hosting me for this very important issue. Right. I mean, when I think about mental health, social media, the next generation, I do think of you. And definitely check out Lars Half the Story and everything they're up to. But why has there been this change? Is it that people are more likely to use hashtags, be on this platform now, even though Twitter's been around for a while? Well, one, well, first and foremost, the mental health crisis that we're facing is is something that we just can't look away from. And social media is the first place that people go often when they're isolated to find other members and communities to make them feel less alone. And in some ways that can be positive, but in other ways it can actually be really negative. And what we've seen is even from 2021 to 2022 on Twitter specifically, there's been a monthly increase of the self-harm acronym increase from 3,000 times a month to 30,000. And so clearly the dialogue is sparking and it's happening, but whether or not it's the safest place to do it is, is another conversation. And uh, the First Amendment actually protects Twitter from having to remove this because content is not something that these platforms have to remove because they're protected by law. Yeah, and um, if you don't know, to our audience listening, this uh, month is uh, National Suicide uh, Prevention Month or Week. I think it's National Suicide Prevention Week, Sunday, September 4th through the the 10th. Uh, but this month represents so much and so many conversations have been are being had about this. And I do wonder, like, yeah, there's an uptick, obviously, of um, kind of people speaking out about suicide online and we're seeing the, this. But I recently I actually just saw last week uh, there was an interesting thread of someone said, if you were, you know, if you were close to committing suicide or completing suicide, what stopped you from doing it? And there was this beautiful thread of people talking about their loved ones are a song or something that came out uh, that happened to them in that moment that stopped them from doing it. And I I think about it being like, that is actually such a valuable um, conversation to be had where people are sharing their experiences. So if we take away or if Twitter takes away the usage of certain words or suicide or to try to like combat against what we're seeing, this uptick, will it also take away the moments of sharing that could actually really be helpful in community when people are looking for that. Right. And I think that that's the, 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 the line that we have to balance and that we, that the platforms try to toe. And even as an organization, we started as a storytelling platform where people would share their struggles with mental health and social media. But in some cases, it's almost like, you know, how honest can you be before it's actually harmful to others? And I think that Mm -hmm. the thing that the social media platforms are struggling with right now is that, when it comes to mental health, you can have a set of rules, but there's no such thing as one size fits all when it comes to these really intense conversations. And to me, I think this is a a conversation for the world to say, how do we use technology 
to help technology in these instances. So, you know, they have more data on us and know more about what we do and than any other entity in the world. Why can't we use AI and, you know, weave and partner with organizations like Crisis Text Line and build that into the algorithms of the social platform so that we can support this powerful storytelling, but also bring people to resources in a way that's proactive rather than reactive. And I think that that's a big part of what's missing in the way that we build our technology now. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah, if, if you had advice for Twitter right now, what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? I think what Twitter is doing right is that they, they've, they have some sort of position, right? And as a platform, you have to have a position on these types of topics. And, and they say that they, you know, they try to remove and they have content policies that rem- basically removes content that exploits um, exploit struggles and, and is actually dangerous, right? And, and I think that's great, but I think the challenge is, is they don't actually have a set of standards that deal with really difficult conversations. It's a really broad, a broad strokes perspective. And I think what they should be doing is investing in AI, should be investing in algorithms and coming up with a team internally that can actually design to support effective and active and proactive <laughs> suicide prevention through the platforms because, you know, they probably, and and I would be interested to see this and doing some sort of research study and looking at kids or people that die by suicide, you know, how often they are looking on these platforms for ideas. And and Mm. to me, it's like, if you're searching for these people or you're following these people with these self-harm hashtags in their bio, you should be targeted by this AI to get mental health support. And, and that's where nonprofits and for profits could mm-hmm. come together if yep. the world uh, wanted to do that. No, and I think that's so right because if, and it's like if Twitter was to figure it all out and it becomes this place where they actually get, make the right decisions and create that AI as you're speaking of, what stops folks from going on any other social media platform? And how should other platforms be thinking about this as well, not just Twitter? Well, I think that this is the problem is that the digital well-being conversation is rather siloed amongst the social media platforms. And there needs to be a global standard that's set by the government, quite honestly, that requires these platforms to have these interventions in place. We can't. I mean, the first step is protecting kids against addictive algorithms. But the second is, how do we think about algorithms in a positive and protective way? And that's going to require some sort of international or national accountability or a coalition that, you know, really forces these these tech companies to say, look, the opportunity cost is humanity, is life if we don't start using our tech for good. And I think that that's the paradigm shift that needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, according to the Washington Post, when people are using acronyms, acronyms and coded language um, and hashtags, you would think that then they would create something where if that happens, then they get this person gets right. DM'd. Like, do you need support? We saw you posted this. Like, starting right. a DM, some sort of crisis text line conversation. That feels like it makes so much sense. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, we have this 988 right, which is, you know, is a whole other conversation. But we can't expect people to leave the platform that they go to for these conversations to get support. And I think that that is we need to meet people where they're at, because when you're depressed, you're not going to I mean, you're not you you need the support to come to you. So I, I think that's what it takes is how do we use our resources and our AI and all of these data learnings that we have to 
think about that through the lens of proactive suicide prevention, especially at this time in our world. Well, that was Lars May, founder of Half the Story. Check out what she's up to and what they're doing. We're halfthestory.org. Yes. Amazing. Thank you again. All right. Thank you, guys. No, thank you. Now, could the end of Labor Day mean the end of traveling chaos? What the upcoming holiday season will look like for air travel. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. With Labor Day marking the end of the summer, will it also mark the end of all of the traveling chaos? How should you prepare yourself for the holiday travels coming up? Joining us is Peter Greenberg, travel editor at CBS News. Thanks for being here. You got it. So it's so interesting um, because it seems like that all of the travel chaos is kind of behind us, but we quickly forget that there's holidays right around the corner again. How should we be thinking about it with all of the kind of chaos we've been hearing around the major airlines and all of the strikes? Like, how should we be preparing ourselves right now? Well, right now, the airlines are, are paring down their schedule. Part of the reason, of course, it's the fall season. That's seasonally always a lower period of travel, but at the same time, they're still confronted with the same staffing shortages, the same pilot shortages, the people who work, as we say, under the wing, the guys on the ground and the women on the ground who load bags and and push and pull planes. So we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, The only thing that's going to save us in terms of what you call the chaos, and you're absolutely right, it's been chaos, is the fact that fewer people will be traveling. So what we're seeing, with the exception of Thanksgiving, which is not a surprise, is that you're going to see starting next week lower airfares and a lot of airfare sales coming uh, because the airlines still have to fill seats, not just domestically, but overseas as well. And they'll be dropping at the rate of about 8 to 10% a week uh, oh. with the exception of, of Thanksgiving. That's the one time of the year you may remember they made a movie about it called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So you don't really want to go near that because that's never going to be a bargain nor an easy time to fly. But between now and February... Believe it or not, it's going to be better simply because there'll be fewer people flying and the airlines are hopefully going to be able to slowly catch up in filling those positions that were lost during the pandemic. I'm surprised if fewer people are flying because I thought like we're coming out of, I guess, the bad part of the pandemic, even though we're still in it, and people like are wanting to travel again. Actually, that's already happened. Uh, people came, COVID was, was beginning to be managed by the end of last year. So there are huge explosion in travel happened in April, May, June, and July, and and last month Hmm. in the United States. People were just determined they were going to travel at any cost. And I emphasize the words, at any cost. Because guess what? They all did travel. They weren't very price sensitive. And they just got their credit card statements. Now they're in sticker shock saying, I spent what for that hotel room? And a lot of them are making the decision that, you know what? I did my travel for the year. I'll probably sit it out until 23 That, coupled with the fact that fewer people are going to travel anyway in the fourth quarter, makes it a buyer's market if you happen to have any money left in your account. Yeah, so I guess give us some tips in these moments. Like, should we, if we're planning on traveling around Thanksgiving, should we be buying our tickets now? Are we too late? Like, give us some quick little traveling tips. If you're going to buy Thanksgiving tickets, do it now because there's no news bulletin here. We all know when it is. We know that Thursday... We also know the worst day to travel, which is the Wednesday before. So the smartest thing you could do is take that entire week off and leave the Friday before. But whatever you do, don't come back the Sunday after. Come back the Tuesday after. Then you'll be outside the mess. Because it's going to be a, that was a mess before the pandemic. It's going to be a mess this year as well. 
Oh no! As it, are, <laughs> I know. <laughs> now I bought my tickets, but I think I'm Good traveling the day after. Okay. Because I was like, I want to just get back. Yeah, that, that's true. Sometimes you know, you I just got to do. I only give my family three or four days. I can't. I can't do no damn week. <laughs> so, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you my approach to Thanksgiving. Okay. Don't laugh. To me, Thanksgiving is an obligatory dysfunctional family get together. Mm, yeah. So, if, as long as I got to go, here's what I do. I actually fly at six a.m. on the morning of Thanksgiving itself. Mm. Nobody's flying. I can go bowling on the plane. I get to where I need to go in time to carve the turkey and have my relatives push all those emotional buttons. And then you know what I do Friday at noon? I fly home because they're all stuck at the mall. And I get back and I get back. And by the way, there's nobody on the plane that day either. So airfares on both those days are lower. And I get back home in time to watch as much bad football as I can. Good to know. <laughs> the hacks. Yeah. So just finally, with all these delays and cancellations, is there anything new that airlines are offering to passengers or we should be asking for? Well, there is a new sort of a, I won't call it a passenger bill of rights, but there's a new dashboard that's been released by the Department of Transportation that lets you know on their website what you're entitled to hmm. if your flight is either delayed or canceled. Now, it's not really the newest ideas in the world. It, it's been around for a while. But now they're being universally applied by, the, by at least nine of the ten biggest airlines in the United States. Meaning, if your flight is delayed by more than three hours, they're going to feed you. If it's delayed more than that and you can't get out, they're going to put you up. And they'll give you a hotel voucher. They'll even get your transportation to and from the hotel. That also applies, obviously, if the plane is canceled. So things are a little bit better in that regard. But don't always expect the airlines to volunteer that information. Now that you know it, you just need to ask for it. All right. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. That was Peter Greenberg, travel editor at CBS News. Well, coming up next, when niche style becomes a trend because of social media, is that a good or bad thing? More on TikTok aesthetics next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You know, when it comes to fashion, social media has been huge in allowing people to connect, get seen, new trends to emerge. But is it also taking away a lot? Uh, This article in Refinery29 talked about this and this idea of like fashion aesthetic, hashtag fashion TikTok, and how, you know, in the past when you had your own style, it was more unique. Like now style gets ripped up off very quickly and it can easily become a trend which then makes like everyone kind of have the same style so i guess are you pro kind of fashion aesthetic on social media do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing and you are a fashion queen mr ryan oh thank you i feel like you're you know you're into aesthetic um i'm not into i just into making myself feel good by the things that i like to okay. wear um, I am not on fashion talk. I don't really be looking at TikTok like that. Um, but I do think, you know, when trends, as we've seen throughout history of fashion specifically, like trends are around and people like trends because, I mean, I think you see what trends are coming back in. You see what trends are going out. And like, yeah, that does start kind of like this idea of like everyone starting to look alike, like. And I mean, even if you think about kind of like body enhancements, like everyone wants to have the curvy body and then everyone starts to kind of like the Instagram girl or the Instagram model, they're all shaped the same way, right? Like I think we we see how social media impacts um, our daily lives. And like, I think the difference between like personal style versus kind of like 
aesthetics is like personal style is like you literally just wearing whatever you want to wear and like doing it in a way that still feels like it's incorporating the trends but still feels true to yourself and i think that's different how do you figure that out these days like how do you know what is what's you versus something you're maybe finding well i think it's all about the inspiration like if you're seeing the this tiktok aesthetic if you're seeing like fashion talk and everybody doing kind of the the same vibe like well why are you adding something to it are you adding Mm. a hat are you putting your hair differently are you adding a belt are you adding rings are you like what are you adding into the space right like to make it different than what you're seeing when it's like the same Zara pink slip like silk slip dress I feel like producer Shelby you have your own style also do you are you part of a fashion subculture here like how, which one would you be part of there's cottage core coastal grandmother <laughs> weird girl um I don't know if this is an existing culture because I'm not on TikTok, um, but I consider my style to be like 80s mom. Like, I love shoulder pads so much. Um, yes. But then, like, I, I don't only wear that. Like, I love thrifting the weird stuff with, like, the grandma embroidery and, like I said, the shoulder pads. But I'm also, like, today I call this is, like, a Y2K look. And I'm, I'm also do, like, 70s. Like, I have my flares and my 70s-inspired stuff. So, like... Yes, I pull inspiration from what's popular, but I'll never wear something just because it's popular. Like, I have to like it, too. Yeah. Like, there's a trend that I hate, and it's mini skirts, like, teeny tiny mini skirts. Like, I could never. So, like... Is that a trend? That small? What? Oh, up yeah. Your- They're called micro skirts. They're... I do not like them. <laughs> I mean, I don't wear them, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Very disappointed, Ryan. I know. Maybe I should give it a try. <laughs> I mean... But, like, that's part I mean, of, like... I too much ass for anything micro. <laughs> <laughs> part of like the Y2K look and I can do other aspects of that but not that so it's like picking and choosing what's right for you the problem is I feel like you could do the Y2K look because you didn't grow up then it's like yes I did oh you did I was born in 2000 all right yes exactly (laughs) but like if I feel like it's cooler when you're like it's vintage for you if you grew up that time is it that vintage anymore (laughs) yeah it is it's still considered vintage I'm bringing back the 80s I don't know about you bringing back anything honestly it never went away There you go. All right. Well, uh, I guess go to TikTok, social media for some inspiration. If you want to find out the fashion that people are talking about, hashtag fashion TikTok. Mm -hmm. Well, next up, how the UK wants to mend fences with the LGBTQ community. That and more next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. More music coming up right here on Channel Q. Uh, and we are giving you some tickets. Your chance to win. Yeah, just head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to find out more information about the one and only Diana Ross and how you can get some tickets and a flying experience to the Wim Las Vegas, September 21st to October 1st. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and it's for your chance to win. All right. A little bit of what's trending this hour right now. Conservative Party leadership announced that Liz Truss will become the UK's new prime minister, the Stonewall chair urged the incoming prime minister to build bridges with the LGBTQ plus community by delivering honor promises to ban conversion therapy in the UK. This is a big deal considering that, you know, who was in the spot before (laughs) Boris Johnson. This is a big leap. Um, That was so much turning this hour. Let's get into a little entertainment news quickie. All right. I like a little quickie because it's uh, about... Kim Kardashian, and she's uh, talking back or speaking out against all the backlash she's been getting around her involvement in private, her private jets and climate change. 
Um, she says she's doing her part to combat climate change despite using her relatively new private jet to fly everywhere. It's gorgeous, by the way. Oh, my God. I, like, it's really nice. Um, she says, I believe in climate change and I believe that anything can help. But I also believe in being realistic. And I think sometimes there's so much to worry about on this planet and it can be really scary to live your life with anxiety. Mm. She says she loves learning from her super climate change involved friends, but when it comes to her life, she needs to act, uh, assess the practicality of going green at such an extreme level. She says, I do what I can, but you have to pick and choose what really works for you in your life. No one's going to be 100% perfect. That is true. It's very, honestly, it is very true. You know, I appreciate her response, but yeah. I mean, it is what it is, kind of. Right I don't now. know. Her jet is nice, though. <laughs> it is. It is. Like, it is stunning. Um, next up, the uh, Lord of the Rings, why their new show, House of Dragon, is under fire. Getting some. No, com- no those are two different no, shows. No, Lord of the Rings. Oh, my God. No, I messed Lord it up. of the Rings. Game is, of Thrones. <laughs> yes, Lord of the Rings has their own show. And has their own drama. Of, has a, a House of Dragons. All right, which is here Game you go. Let me do this again. Spin-off. Game of Thrones spinoff, House of Dragons. Well, it's getting a lot of heat right now. All these shows are, actually. Yeah, oh, so there you go. No, so, that's what I was trying to tell you. Both <laughs> of these shows are. All right, more next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So if you pay attention to any of these kind of fantasy uh, medieval shows, you would know that Amazon has a new series called The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. And then, of course, if you are into Game of Thrones, there's a spinoff, House of Dragons. Shout out to the Targaryens. Now, a lot of uh, the, the fans of these shows are basically saying these new shows that are literally mythical medieval universes so they're fake (laughs) they uh a lot of the complaints are that these new shows are trying to wokeify this world the are these worlds and um a few of the actors uh, specifically in uh the game of thrones show the house of um the house of dragons show one of the actors was actually had like received a ton of like racist kind of vitriol thrown at them because I guess people were like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like there's a black guy with blonde dreads and he's a part of this world and he's in place and power. And then I guess one of the hobbits in, um, in this new Lord of the Rings show is a black guy, you know? And it just seems like uh, Steve, uh, Steve Toussaint, who is a black actor, the one that I was just speaking yeah. of, who plays a wealthy naval commander in the current Game of Thrones prequel, he spoke to this debate, and this, he was like, they are happy with the dragon flying. Um, they're happy with white hair and violet colored eyes, but a rich black guy, that's beyond the pale. <laughs> and it's so interesting, because I, I feel like we see this um, throughout all of these kind of like fake ass worlds from comic books when uh, Zendaya was uh, Mary J or MJ on Spider-Man and people were racist towards her or anytime any black actress or actor is a part becomes a part of these worlds are, you know, there's some sort of diversity. We start to see this and I just wonder what the hell? What's people the big suck. deal? Uh, y- you know, yeah, people get just so attached to these worlds that are, as you mentioned, fake and they think that there's only one way to do it and once again these worlds when they were created a lot of times they were created let's be clear by white men right like you know some of the biggest uh comic book creators who by the way bless like bless their hearts r.i.p you know stanley screw them i'm just saying but (laughs) i like stanley yeah he was he was good but you know we have to remember that you know 
uh, times are changing, and that was unfortunate that there wasn't more representation in these things. Doesn't mean that that should have been like con- that should continue, and it doesn't ruin the story. <laughs> and it was already, yeah, you know, it, it's just all well, it's you know, all fantasy. like it's all fantasy. And I think for me, it's it's really difficult when you see kind of like the backlash on a lot of these actors. I mean, I remember. Um, when Star Wars was happening, and there was so much, obviously, uh, racism around this latest, uh, the what's the what's the new show that's out the, the on Star Disney Plus? Yeah, it's like the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, like there's all these uh, like actor actors of color, or actresses of color. I remember that uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. Yes, Obi Wan. That's, that's the most the recent one. one where there's a black actress in there and. All of these fans, it's like, why are you so invested in only like white men or white folks being the hero? Like, well, it, there's it, a reason. It, I mean, of course, there's a reason, but it, it just feels like this is all fake. All of this could change and de- evolve and develop, and it doesn't in change. By the way, it shouldn't change the character just because a black person is playing it. I mean, oh, if if it just adds more nuance. Yeah, it, meaning yeah, it could add a nuance if that is something the actor wants to bring to the table or the writers want to bring to the table. Because I even think of like period pieces when it's like the Gilded Age or Bridgerton. And Bridgerton, like- I was going to say that was something Elizabeth was it Elizabethan times? Or, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was an interesting take on it because of um, Eva who created it. The last name, Eva. You mean Shonda Rhimes? Was it? Oh. It wasn't. Shonda a- Rhimes did Shonda Bridgerton. R- yeah, Shonda Rhimes did Bridgerton. Yeah. So yeah. I was like mixing her up with someone else. Shonda Rhimes, because we knew that... I want to know who Eva is now. Yeah, I think we'll I... We'll figure it yeah. out. Um, as Shonda, Shonda Rhimes, who's an amazing black reader, you knew that she wasn't going to whiteify it, right? I mean, it was clear that she wasn't going to do that. Well, I think it's also... it's Black people did exist. Exactly, well, that's true. <laughs> so but then, but like, I it's think like that, to rewrite... To have, like, to rewrite... Like, it's, it's, a, it's a bit revisionist. It's like, you can't, like, just rewrite history and act like people of color didn't exist because well, yeah, they that's always the thing. have. And, because, and the history was told through the uh, white perspective. And yeah. so that's the reason why all of that happened, including in movies and TV and books. So I actually thought that was really interesting that Bridgerton was so naturally diverse. Like, and it wasn't like it, it was brought up, like, why... Race wasn't brought up because it inherently just people were being and existing, which I thought was a really interesting thing. Yeah, and I think you have to come to terms with what the original source material, what when was when the original source material was created, and if it was created during a time where racism and white supremacy, I mean, has always kind of been a part of this country and the structure of this country. I think it's valid to say that, of course, these. Things that people love so much were were created with blind spots. And as time evolves and as we kind of see it, honestly, using the term woke or wokeify is just like literally saying the N-word to me. And it's, it's not so nuanced. true. It is. It's like it is. It has literally completely just like, I don't know, come up with a better word of saying that. And then we need to take the word woke out of our vocabulary because it's starting to now be used as like a weapon. No, seriously. Even the ways that we see like Republicans and conservatives use it. It's like, whoa, just like call me heart ER. Just do it because, you know, you want to. It's at the tip of your tongue. Call me a C word. What is that? I don't want to say it. Like a Ritz cracker. <laughs> All right. Well, let us know what you think at LGT shows, or you can find us on social media. All right. Next up. <laughs> 
how to deal with people who make you their best friend against your will. Oh, God. All right, we're getting into it after this. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Have you ever dealt with someone befriending you against your will? Yes. Like they say, oh, or you feel the vibe that they want you to be their BFF. Yes. And you haven't signed up for it. It's so weird. Okay, tell I can us name more. someone, someone that uh, we worked with. Oh, and say um, name. <laughs> no, but um, I've worked with people where that happens. I think naturally, when you like, uh, I think something about me that I've realized is like, I think I naturally have a personality that can make people feel really close to me immediately, uh, which uh, does not do well for. When you want to set boundaries, because if you reject it or if you try to set up boundaries and they can get offended by it, um, just because, you know, it's just like, oh, I know it feels like, you know, we've really, really connected, which maybe we have. But then also, like, it can be a lot, right? Like, there's just some people who have that personality that can make people feel really, really like, oh, we're connecting and, like, we're we're that. And I think... When people are public figures of some sorts, I think people have this idea of what they already think of you and expect oh, yeah. of you, and so that creates like, oh, we, uh, we're already best, we're best friends in my brain, and then when you meet them, it's like, real, like in real life, you're not, you don't really know these people, and you can. How good vibes and connect doesn't mean you need to be like hanging out with each other all the time. No, right? for sure. For like, sure. That's just kind of like adult relationships. No, yeah. Like literally had a person. Um, and like it was nice and sweet, but they would just like text all the time or like DM on Instagram all the time. And it would be like to levels of like, okay, have you looked at our messages and seeing... If you've responded or not, like, you know, I think there's, you got to be able, like, I think there's some people who just can't read the room. Or also, if you have work vibes, like, a lot of times, let's just keep it, you know, we could get along. We don't need to be best friends. Yeah, let work just be work. Exactly. You know, recently, I had something, like, I go to a lot of events and meet a lot of people. I actually, like, I I like everyone. I'm open. I'm open to get in touch with. I let everyone know that because, like, I think that's important, the accessibility factor. However... There was someone who I met who I actually thought was really nice and cool, came up to me, was really my vibe. But, like, I, I, I was, like, cool. Like, we talked, but then I started to get tired. And then she's like, oh, I'll let you go and do your thing. Great. So she, she actually – I'm like, nothing. Like, what if she's listening? <laughs> and well, she, sent mean, me, she sent me a really nice gift. You said you met a lot gift. of people. It, it would be pretty uh, this narcissistic person sent me, um, This person sent me a nice gift. She said, like, I want to send you something, which I thought was really thoughtful. Um, and then contact, and then I wrote back saying thank you. And then she was like, okay, I want to like follow up. Like, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I would love to like jump on a call with you. And I was like, sure, here's my calendar. Like I have a Calendly now, which by the way, I suggest that for everyone. Okay. Save you a lot of time. And she kind of was like, didn't, uh, didn't like take that and kind of was like, so when are we going to hang- get, when are we going to talk? And I was like. Once again, I sent you my schedule. Yeah. And this is what I sent. Like, you're not like a best friend where we're randomly talking. Right. Like, hey, just jump you're on the call. You're not somebody that can just pick up the phone and FaceTime me. Yeah, I'm not there yet. And I don't know if it ever will be. And just, you know, boundaries. Right? Right. So it was just like, I, what I realized, and then I thought maybe my communication was wrong. Like, what happened with my communication? I felt kind of bad. But also, I was like, no, I actually, I was clear about the fact that I'm okay with connecting, but within 
a certain yeah you gotta have a boundary set up exactly a a barrier and i i think that's the interesting thing right like there's something to there's something to be said about the ways that people kind of like love bomb you and where that possibly shows up in like other parts of their world like i i am someone even when it comes to dating someone like if it get our talking to someone if it gets too like too intense too quickly uh, that's a sign that's a, that's a sign that's a and that's how i look at it in friendships it can't get too quick too quickly but then here because you don't know them yeah that's true that takes time uh, and bff vibe takes time it could take years yeah and i've learned i mean i've learned through therapy that like real intimacy is all about building it. it's all about the trust that happens over time it's not something that can be forced it's not something that will just come at a snap of a finger. And so, like, if someone is trying to automatically assert themselves in your world or trying to be close, best like, best friends with you all, without understanding that kind of that, that, that it takes baby steps to even get into that space or to trust someone, then, girl, they have some clear, like, boundary issues and, like, maybe y'all are not the best or, like, I, I have a, a friend that calls me up who has definitely has a lot of issues. So whenever she calls me up, I go, are you okay? I think that something's wrong. Yeah. She's like, I can't just call you up just to say hi. And I'm like, well, yeah, but your life's always falling apart and you always need help. <laughs> Drag, now she's listening. <laughs> we actually have her on the phone. She's actually on the line. She's well, like, waiting. Here's the thing. And then there's people I actually really adore. Yes, but I don't have time to get together with them, or I just like have, we haven't figured it out, and they'll call me out saying like, "Well, you're the one that doesn't have time." Nah, yeah, nah, 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 yeah. Nah, nah. And then so it's, it's it's complicated. No, it really is. It really is. So and just don't force it. Yeah. So just some tips if you're in this situation. We'll, we'll give a shout out to Vice who inspired this conversation. I just gave tips. Well, I, did. I want expert tips. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Um, this tips to avoid reaching a forced friendship. Be aware of the difference in expectations. Okay, so they're going to say the exact same thing. Learn that I to just say said. no. Wow, assertively. Okay, okay same. I'm an Identify expert. and draw clear boundaries. I'm an expert. Did you write this? I'm an expert. Start messaging using terms like "I feel." You didn't say that. Um, and why would I say that? Why would I tell them that? Because it, like it. It, basically you're identifying it as yourself versus like putting it on them. Like I feel this versus saying this situation or you're doing this a lot of times. It's I'm going to quiet I. quit this situation. I feel like I'm going to quiet quit <laughs> our friendship. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. No, do that. That is that is ghosting, and that's not no. Because if you end up finding out this person is a stalker and has an altar dedicated to you in their home, then guess what? You're probably going to wish you quiet quit them a lot sooner. That might push them over the edge. Just saying, quiet quitting and find a quiet place to hide. Uh, Well, next up, what would you do if your partner had an unusual relationship with their sibling? Ugh. More weirdness, creepiness next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. What if your partner prioritized the feelings of their siblings above yours, saying they have an emotional partner and it's a sibling? This happened to one person in a Slate.com advice column, and it got us thinking, what would you do if you were in this position? I mean, blood is thicker than water. Is that what they say? 
I mean, yeah, but this is obviously not a healthy relationship. Like, there's a difference between a sibling relationship, family, and then like. Why can't intimate. you be close with your siblings? You can, but when you say, Why can't they be when emotional? you try to pit, I think I think it's um, unfair when you start doing like point systems of like pitting people against each other. But who's doing that? The one who's complaining about the relationship, or is it? Her? No, it seems like it when it seems like it's the the boyfriend in this case or the partner that says like. And there, by the way. The, it depends on the context, right? So if someone's having a really hard time going through a difficult time of life, totally get it. But then when it starts to be just this consistent pattern and it's not going away, oh wow, you know. So this is kind of weird. I'm reading a little bit yes. more. And it says initially their close sibling friendship seemed nice, but then exactly. Mary, who is the uh, <laughs> Mary, got. Possessive. She told me privately that they had fulfilled the emotional role of romantic partners for each weird. other for years. She says she saw me as the other woman. Okay, this is so weird. At one point, Mary asked Jim to stop texting me in the evening so he could be more present when he was with oh her. Jim on. agreed that her behavior was unreasonable, uh, but said he didn't want to change too much because Mary was struggling emotionally. Exactly. She, it, like, at what point do you got to cut the cord and say, like, I could be here for you, but I also have my own life. So, listen, I dated someone uh, that was very close with their siblings. Uh, this is before I met you, Ryan, so uh-huh. you don't know about this one. Okay. Um, and, and very close with his family. And at first, I thought it was actually really nice. What's right? his name? <laughs> So at first, I thought it was really nice because I don't I have family I here. I, I don't have family here. So that's like, it's nice to have that, right? Yeah. But then they would show up and come to all of our dates. So we'd have date night. What? And then they'd be like either, and at first it was subtle. It was like, oh, they happen to be in the area. So they're going to just like stop by. Great. Or they're going to meet us after dinner. Fine. And then it'd be like, well, I don't, I feel bad doing stuff without them on the weekends. Can they just join? And then it it was just like, it it stopped. What? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that got a bit much because like we stopped hanging out alone one-on-one. He always felt bad that he had cool things going on if they didn't. Because, but I was like, yeah, you have your own life. You have a relationship with me. Like, we need to spend some time alone. Wow. So it's not, he wasn't a daddy's boy. He wasn't a mommy's boy. He was a sibling's boy. <laughs> exactly. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. And they were just like the three... Uh, musketeers. Musketeers. Exactly. Yeah. And it, yeah, it definitely impacted the relationship. Yeah, it sounds like it would. So there you go. Was, was, was he thinking about them while he was sleeping with you? <laughs> Weird. How do we didn't go that far? <laughs> Hopefully not. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, we are wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. This one goes to country music star Maren Morris, who kind of was on our Yaz Queen of the Day after she fought back against Brittany Kerr Aldean. That's Jason Aldean, the country music artist, his wife, who made some transphobic comments. Well, because of that whole kerfuffle, she was highlighted on Tucker Carlson's show when did on Fox you start News. Kerfuffle? I don't know. I just throw words out. No, that's just a word to pick out on a <laughs> random Tuesday. Hey, you know. Kerfuffle. <laughs> you can barely say it. I can barely say like, what word is that? Um, so uh be- so basically she was on uh Tucker Carlson's show where he called her a lunatic and a fake country music singer. So she used that as inspiration and ended up creating a t-shirt that said Mary. Morris lunatic country music person and she uh, sold it with all proceeds being split between Trans Lifeline and Glad their trans media program and she's actually raised over Labor Day weekend over $100,000 
which is pretty wow. amazing. I mean, sometimes that's the best way to get at all of these right? losers. For real. Pack the money and give it to a great organization that's going to do some good with it. I mean, I love how quickly she did this. So she definitely gets a big... You know, what? She has my favorite Target commercial. Oh, really? Yeah, she does. It's a, it's a, a song that we play here on Channel Q. I love, I always think of the Target version. I do. She's well, that a, means that marketing is working. And she performed on an award show as a part of a Target sponsor. <laughs> Look at that. I know a lot about her specifically aligned with Target. <laughs> no, you're like the the main Target. Target. I love the Target. I'm the commercial. Target audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So, again, a big yes, Queen Tamarin Morris. Yeah. Yes, Queen. A great example of allyship right there. Well, that does it for our show today, but we are back tomorrow, same time, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. What's coming up on tomorrow's show, producer Shelby? So the Respect for Marriage Act is back in conversation now that Congress is out of their recess. So now we're looking at them hopefully voting on it in this month in September. Okay. So we'll get some updates on that tomorrow. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay and have a beautiful rest of the yes. day. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on. We talk about basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happens. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.